0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. It's Light like the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports. With Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig
1: Way. To this one. And Horns 24-7 insider,
0: Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Line it up on a Thursday, Thursday edition of Light the Tower on The Horn. Live, local, and digital on The Horn app and at hornfm.com, wherever you're listening, however you're listening. We just thank you so much for being a part of today's presentation. I am Jeff Howe. Craig Way will be with us today at some point in the 11 o'clock hour. Press conferences and practices going on right now in Coral Gables. We'll get with Craig in the 11 o'clock hour. We're pretty much going to be wall-to-wall Texas baseball in hour number two. We've got a lot to cover in hour number one of the show. Let me introduce our esteemed producer, the play-by-play prodigy, Cameron Parker. Cam, how's your morning going?
1: Not too bad, Jeff.
0: Yours? Dude, insanity. Yeah? Insanity this morning. Um, Got some Horns 24-7 news that I'll share with Everybody here in a bit.
1: There's a lot going on. I got Not my... <laughs> just with Texas baseball, with basketball. basketball. I saw some of the 247 news. That's maybe what you're alluding yeah, to. Yeah, I've got
0: my daughter with me this morning because my wife has some work stuff come up, and it's that part of the summertime where we don't have child care. So it's, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's insane. But we're going to get to it right now. Yes. Specs text line is open three three I'm sorry, texter. I apologize for the 10 minutes of commercials. And trust me, we'll, we'll get back on track and we'll be fine. The show will go on as planned. So uh, at any rate, let's jump right into it, Cam. I want to get to the Horns 24-7 news first because I, I want to make sure I don't leave that out, that I don't forget it. Um, got some staff changes. And I've been, you know, obviously I'm privy to this stuff before everybody else is because I work there. Uh, but some staff changes coming at Horns 24-7. Much to the chagrin of some of you out there, that does not include my demise. I'm still going to be around on the site. So uh, sorry for anybody that was hoping I would get the ax this time around. Uh, but uh, Taylor Estes, who's been with us since uh, we merged with the old Hornets Digest site on the Scout Network when there was that merger with 24-7 Sports and Scout.com. Uh, Taylor's moving on to a uh, – tier leader position within the network she'll be over some sites so she's moving on uh mike roach moving on but not going far away mike is now going to cover recruiting all over the state of texas not just longhorn specific that's been need in the network for a while uh we haven't had a full-time reporter we've got guys on the uh analysis side gabe brooks does a great job uh hudson standish has been doing some more work with that team uh, so, so from an analysis standpoint, an evaluation standpoint, we've got that covered. We just didn't have a boots-on-the-ground reporter just focusing on the state of Texas. So Mike will be doing that. He's Cam, I know you've read Mike's work for a long time. Well-deserved promotion for my man Mike Roach.
1: Yeah, he's one of the best in the business. And it feels like there's been a couple guys in Mike's position as well that have kind of moved up from this spot. So it seems like a, a really good spot to to work in because it leads to bigger in better things i'm thinking of i think EJ Holland right he went, EJ, went to EJ EJ uh, was in
0: that spot yeah um i was actually in that spot for a little bit before i decided i wanted to cover the team and stop driving all over the state and all over the country uh Nick Harris was in that spot for a little bit nicks now with DallasCowboys.com. so it's yeah uh you know the the fact we've gone through a lot of changes at the site i've been there from day one i was i was there day one uh i'm the only one left from day one Bobby Burton's now gone, Jerry Hamilton's now gone. I'm I'm still there. We've done gone through a lot of changes, but uh we're very fortunate and I can't thank Kevin Ryan and our higher ups enough. We lose good people and we manage to replace them with good people. So props to Kevin Ryan, Joel Cox, everybody at twenty four seven sports. So Mike and Taylor are moving on.
1: It might be the Oakland A's.
0: The swing well, hopefully, not the swinging A's of 2023. No, more, more like, like the,
1: the 2003 the Oakland
0: A's, two, The 2000. Yeah. Uh, let's say
1: 2000, Giambi, is and those guys, Johnny yeah. Damon, Tim Jermaine, Hudson, Jermaine
0: Dye, Barry Zito. Don't forget Mark Moda. Uh, so j- coming on to the Horns 24/7, joining the Horns 24/7 family, we've got Hank South, who uh, is a Westlake grad, a 2013 Westlake grad, Trey Scott's former roommate at Texas. Trey Scott's one of our national editors, he and Hank were roommates while they were at Texas. So Hank is a Texas grad. He's been covering Alabama for a long time, uh, but he's now back in the Texas market. Uh, Jordan Scruggs, who I know has uh, gotten to know some of the flex guys with some of the stuff he's done covering high school football and recruiting Jordan, uh, is going to join our recruiting team. And then Eric Henry is coming from the state of Florida to join us on the beat writing side. Uh, kind of give me the a, a little more flexibility than I've got right now. I, I know people take notice of this stuff, and I get asked about it. I I make I have issue Cam with sometimes spreading myself too thin and trying to do too many things at once. So Eric coming over is really going to take some stuff off of my plate. So uh, it's chipping myself and then the newcomers and we're going to be rocking and rolling. So all these changes will go into effect officially on Monday the fifth. So just wanted to clear the deck, get that out of the way, uh, and and thank you to Mike and Taylor for what they've done and looking forward to working with everybody uh, that's coming in. Whether you're coming in from within the network or you're coming in from afar like Eric is, uh, definitely looking forward to continuing to make this brand as strong as we possibly can. All right, let's go ahead and uh, we've got a couple of different things to talk about, uh, namely with we, we, the Texas football stuff. Cam, I heard, I caught a little bit when I was, you know, I had a doctor's appointment yesterday, so I'm in the car, I'm out of the car, I'm running around, pharmacy trips and whatnot. I caught a little bit of you and Ty yesterday. Uh, In case anybody missed it or just to catch me up to speed in case I missed points of the conversation, where are you at on all this hubbub about SEC scheduling, which is pretty much all we have to talk about right now, is SEC scheduling when you talk about Texas moving there in 2024. We've got, you know, the the 1-7 decision, the 3-6 decision. Is it eight games? Is it nine games? It sounds like, uh, you know, they might... Sounds like the SEC might table that vote. They might Mm -hmm. not vote on it now. Where are you at on scheduling, Cam, in terms of anything you've heard coming out of Destin this week?
1: Honestly, I don't really know because I know the argument against a nine-game SEC schedule is that some teams are worried about not being bowl eligible. But as Texas and as a Texas fan, whether you play eight games or nine games, whether you're in the SEC Pac-12 or the Southland Conference, you should never be concerned about – playing too many conference games because you're worried about not getting to the six-win threshold. So for nine games, I like that a little bit more because you have the three permanent opponents and that allows Texas to play Oklahoma, A&M, and Arkansas every year, but I understand the eight-game schedule because that means you can kind of have that SEC second game, second to the last game where you're playing a, a lower level FBS opponent, where it used to be an FCS opponent, right? Now mm-hmm. you're playing, you know, maybe it's UTEP second week of the season, so you have more time to maybe get more healthy, to rest your guys, and I think a lot of you know college football fans don't like that. They don't want to see with two weeks to go in the season you're playing someone that's not in your conference, but, I mean, the SEC is a little bit tougher, so I go I go back and forth on it, Jeff.
0: It, it sounds like, you know, you can go to horns 24-7 and get this in our insider piece right now. Uh, it, it sounds like there's... Still some traction to initially go to the 1-7 format. And then in 2026, maybe when ESPN slash Disney has some more ducks in a row in terms of being able to free up some cash. They can change it. They'll go to the nine-game conference schedule and the, the 3-6 format that we've been talking about.
1: So, Because a part of it, and this was in, I believe, Brandon Marcelo's post yesterday on, on Horns247.com, was ESPN and Walt Disney, they've had a lot of cutbacks lately, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. They just tied up a lot of money. In Pat McAfee, a lot of money in Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. They're putting a lot of money in these talent. But they might be getting back. ready to
0: tie up some money in Shannon, Shannon Sharp. Sharp.
1: <laughs> there you go. Who knows how much he's gonna ask for? So they're putting all their they're putting all their money on these top tier talent guys. But they're also that means it's cutting back on a lot of the production costs, which is including these TV deals. So does ESPN can can Walt Disney afford to have a nine game schedule right now? Probably not, but you just mentioned 2026, and that's probably a huge part of this as well.
0: Yeah, so I heard you and Ty had an interesting take on this. Uh, I haven't seen Tyrus. I don't know if he's still in the building. But you guys were talking about permanent opponents. He favors Texas playing A&M in a 1-7 yeah. format over Oklahoma? Yeah. Dude, there's no way that'll fly with his fan base ever.
1: No, and that's why I, we asked the Specs text line, and everyone came in. As Oklahoma, except for Tom McKay. He wanted Alabama or Georgia, which um, I don't think they would want to face Texas as their permanent opponent Dude, every Nick, year.
0: Nick Saban, the reason Nick Saban is against the 3-6 model is his permanent opponents would be LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah, he's not too – that's why Nick Saban's not too excited about the 3-6 format. Uh, and you throw Texas in there, yeah, that ain't, that ain't going to cut it. And then Georgia's got historic rivals that they've got to preserve, Tennessee, Auburn, uh, Florida – so Georgia's got stuff they got to take care of, but who, I, who
1: would be A and M's? It would have to be Arkansas, right?
0: I think it depends on. I think it would depend on which group of Aggies you ask. I think the older, the older Aggie fan might prefer Arkansas just because you have got some history there. Go back to the Southwest Conference days, whatever. I think maybe the younger A and M fan would probably prefer LSU. But a LSU a would be
1: al- would be Alabama, right? I would think
0: so. Or, or well, you'd have Auburn. That'd be out. Uh, oh, that's be true. Alabama's that is very rivals, true. Yeah, so, uh, you I brought know the Iron Bowl.
1: So that's probably the biggest one, right? Oh, dude, yeah. I mean Georgia and Florida. Granted,
0: people forget that Auburn and Alabama went without playing each other for what, like 40, 50 years, yeah. whatever it was at one point before politics got involved when they came back together and started playing each other again. But yeah, you'd have to keep – at this point, you'd have to keep the Iron Bowl. I I would think for Aggie fans, again, I think the younger A&M fans, and maybe even some of the older ones, I don't know, uh, A&M folks, I don't want to speak for all of you, but I would think LSU would be – if A&M fans had their druthers, that's – and you'd say, okay, Texas is off the table – who's the one team you want to play in this two-year 1-7 format. It would be LSU, but at the same time, Cam, you could go to a 1-7 and just do Texas and Texas A&M, and then when you go to the nine-game format in 2024, you just slide A&M in there, or if you're on the A&M slide, just slide Texas in there as one of your two additional permanent opponents and then just rock and roll from there.
1: Do you think – so if they did that, would that stop – the Red River Rivalry from happening every year,
0: dude. No, there you can't do that. I don't think Texas or Oklahoma or what that game could mean now to the SEC to have SEC branding at the Cotton Bowl and to have that be an SEC game. I don't think there's any way any of the involved parties would let that. So
1: happen. it would be, you know, a quote unquote rotating opponent until. The until uh, goes two, to the yeah two years to,
0: three. depending on how you're looking at it you could do it this way certainly I'm not giving any inside information but you could do it this way you could have a and m if you're a Texas fan you could have a and m or if you're an a and m fan have Texas be the quote unquote one of the seven rotating opponents end quote and then starting in 2026 oh guess what now you're one of our three permanent opponents. And go roll and have the nine-game schedule from there. Uh, A couple other tidbits I want to mention. This this is not our Longhorn Notebook. I want to talk Texas basketball in the Longhorn Notebook coming up here in just a few minutes. Uh, That's one of the many tidbits in the Insider. I found this interesting, Cam. We talked a lot about the Paul Christ hire on this week's Longhorn Blitz podcast, which, by the way, uh, was last night. Uh, Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock is when the Blitz airs after the Flex show. Uh, you can also get that anywhere you get your podcasts, anywhere. You, know, you use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you use to get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. That is Horns, the number two, the number four, the number seven. No dashes, slashes, or spaces. Squeeze it all together. Find the Horns 24-7 podcast feed. Click that follow button. You get every episode of the Blitz when it drops. We talked a lot about the Paul Crest hire, and I mentioned this with you and Craig on Monday that – I think people rightly – you know, Texas fans rightly talk about what it could do for the run game coming off a year where you're missing uh, Bijan and Roshan, you're kind of looking to revamp your run game, maybe dial up some different things, scheme up your run game a little bit better now that you can't just rely on uh, those guys accounting for unblocked defenders and maximizing runs the way they did, which they were two of the best in the country at doing at it if you look at the PFF numbers just in terms of missed tackles forced and yards after contact and and go into the the, deep dive on those numbers. But, and you look at the offensive lineman Paul Christ has had, but I really dig it from the standpoint of Sark having that Power 5 head coach who's been a play caller, who gave up play calling duties. Paul Christ has a really unique perspective. He can get to Sark on how he sees the game. And uh, we caught up with a source. Uh, This was uh, what a source close to Sark, uh, uh, with a source close to Steve Sarkeesian said about Sark hiring Paul Christ, I'll just read this verbatim from the insider. Quote, this has a chance to be a brilliant move by Sark. Quote, no one was more committed offensively to running the football and creating physical in your and creating a physical in your face mindset to run the ball than Paul Christ at Wisconsin. At a time when you lose B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson to the NFL draft, but might have a team capable of making conference title run, having a guy like Christ offering you ideas on the ground and pound to complement Sark's passing game genius is huge. I think it allows Steve uh, – I think it shows, excuse me, Steve wants all the expertise he can get his hands on to help him get Texas over the top, a really self-aware move. Cam, I couldn't agree with that more.
1: Look at the running backs. You mentioned the offensive line. Actually, we had Scott Eberts on the show yesterday, and he we asked him, you know, what, what position group are you most confident about going into this next year? And it was the running back, the running back group. And I think a lot of that is now with Paul Crist and his ability – to help out this group, yeah, it's pretty young. You're losing a lot of production from B. John Robinson, from Roshan Johnson, but you can't deny there's talent there. And look at what Paul Christ, and a lot of, you you could say it's the offensive line and all the big humans he has, but look at Texas. A lot of big humans now on the offensive line, Jeff, and there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of guys that may be reminiscent of the Monty Balls, the Jonathan Taylors, uh, who, who's the other, uh, Melvin Gordon, right? Is his first name Melvin?
0: Yeah, Melvin Gordon.
1: Yeah. I mean, look at what he's done with those running backs, and I think he can do the same exact thing here at Texas, even if it's just for one year like we saw with Gary Patterson.
0: Uh, I do think uh, you mentioned the running backs. Uh, You know, I I do think people need to remember, though, with Paul Chris, there's only so much he can do as far as actual coaching goes. So it's not like a whole sudden it's not like he's going to be, you know, on the field in the huddle. Yeah. Yeah. you know, with with Tashard Choice,
1: but schematically though,
0: yeah, schematically, schematically, it's going to be huge. I, I, just, you know, but going back to my theme, I, and I don't want to lose sight of what it can do for the run game, what it can do for the backs, how much of a help he can be with, with, to Kyle Flood on the offensive line. But to me, I, I don't, I don't want to lose sight of that. But I just go back to my overarching theme for the season of the growth Sark needs to make, and I've talked about this kind of the staff as a whole. And really, I don't want to thank Rod for correcting me on the blitz this week. I need to exclude Jeff Banks from that because special teams has been really good. I think hiring Joe D. Camillus is really doubling down on a strength. You know, kind of like last year when Sark used a lot of 12 personnel for a couple different reasons. One, your wide receiver depth took a hit once Isaiah Neyer went down. And two, you had two of the best running backs, maybe the best backfield in the country last year. So you're really doubling down on an advantage just playing with a bigger surface. I think that's what Jody Camillis Camillus is going to do for the special teams. It's a big year for Jeff Banks to – for a couple things. One, he's probably going to have the best return and coverage units he's had when you look at the talent in this program, the young talent in this program. Guys that are, you know, a guy like Jeray Bledsoe, right, Kim? Yeah, a guy that's going to need a place to play. Uh, you think about Maurice Blackwell's been huge on special teams the last couple of years. Keaton Crawford's been a big part of special teams. And we know the staff will put starters on special teams, but the guys they have with the size-speed ratios they've got across the board, they should have their best coverage and return units they've had. At Texas, So Jeff Banks could be over overseeing one of the best special teams units in the country, but also you've got to maximize Jatavian Sanders in what's probably going to be the last year you've got with him. I still think, and we'll get more into this as we get closer to the season, I think that's who your offense is going to revolve around. I think JT Sanders will be the focal point of everything Texas does on offense, and the other thing I think Jeff Banks needs to focus on, which is why you can have Joe Camillas doing a lot of the work that nece- Jeff Banks doesn't necessarily need to take time to do is because I need Jeff Banks not only max. if I'm Sark, I not only need Jeff Banks maximizing JT Sanders, I need him bringing along Gunnar Helm and Juan Davis and Spencer Shannon because the tight end is so important to Sark's offense. He said it time and again, the tight end is the second most important position on his offense, right behind quarterback. Other than quarterback is the most important position. Granted, there's nobody else in that room that can replace J.T. Sanders or get even close, but what you can't have happen, as I knock on wood, if something were to happen to J.T. Sanders, the tight end can't suddenly be obsolete mm-hmm. in the offense. you got to make it functional, so you've got to really figure out what you've got with those other three guys. And I don't, I'm not including Will Randall in that mix because he's coming off the ACL. We probably won't see Will Randall at all this year. So I need Jeff Banks maybe focused in other areas. Joe D. Camilla's taking some of that stuff off his plate. And Payam Sudat, I think it's helping PK figure out kind of more exotic ways to get after the quarterback. We'll get into that a little bit uh, after the break. I do want to talk more about him because he's kind of the, the one assist, uh, special assistant that we haven't really talked about. But again, with Paul Chris, I think it's game management, but it's all the stuff where Sark really needs to grow. I think those are the areas where Paul Chris can help him a lot because, again, when you've been a power five head coach who's coached in big time games, who's won big time games, and you were the play caller he can give Sark that perspective that Sark is really going to understand considering he's doing those things now. All right, we'll take a break, come back. We'll continue the Texas football conversation, but also we have to talk Texas basketball. The big news last night, Dylan Mitchell's coming back. What does the Texas roster look like now? And what might Rodney Terry and company be looking to add to finish off the roster heading into his first full season on the job? We will do that and more. Continue to take your feedback on the Specs text line, 337-3776. All that and more coming up when we continue on Light the Tower on the Horn, live locally and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Craig Webb and Jeff Howe, Light the Tower. Craig will be with us next hour. He's down in Coral Gables. Cam and I were getting updates from the voice of the Longhorns. South Beach. Using his words. These are Craig's words, not mine. The gravy whore himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sound like some interesting adventures and travel for the Longhorn baseball team yesterday.
1: Got in, I believe, five hours later than they were supposed to they, they didn't even fly into miami they had to fly to orlando orlando wait where they were in a holding pattern over the the gulf and then they had to land in orlando because of fuel and then they had to later fly to miami i believe where they touched down a little bit late afternoon so they yeah. they left at 11 o'clock here in austin That's a lot of
0: time on that plane man one of the writers i forget who it was was saying and just as long as you're going to Coral Gables, thank goodness it's not, not like the rain delay in Greenville last year. And I was thinking it was, man, if you're going to a regional like in Coral Gables, just plan on there being a rain delay at some point, and most likely a lengthy one at
1: that. Especially at the end of May, June, it's raining. on. My mom's in Florida. It rains nonstop. I'm part of Florida there. she in, It's just south of Jacksonville, Ponte okay. Vedra.
0: Okay. That's where uh, I'm not – no disrespect to your mom with what I'm about to say at all but like i went to vero beach a few years ago on a vacation mm-hmm. and i was like man this is one of those parts of florida where all the olds go
1: yeah where's <laughs> where's vero beach at uh
0: vero beach is probably i would say an hour and a half to and i somebody from florida can correct me if i'm wrong i want to say it's like an hour and a half two hours south of daytona beach
1: okay okay so where she's at and like i i'm I was pretty anti-Florida. I like what, Destin. Remind,
0: okay, where does your mom live again?
1: She's so Ponte Vedra. So we're area, so you have you have Jack's, Jacksonville, you have Jacks Beach, which is kind of a college town, right? So mm-hmm. it's a cool beach. It's great for surfing. That's a nice area. And then you have beaches a little bit south, closer to Ponte Vedra, where TPC Sawgrass is. So that's a little bit more upscale oh, and yeah, older yeah, crowd. Yeah. So you, have, you can have the combination of just, you know a quiet more relaxed beach environment versus the college town beach which is nice so it's it's a good uh juxtaposition of, of two little cities so
0: yeah Vero Beach just really struck me as a um, a retirement community so Ponte Vedra Beach is 3 hours 3 hours south of Vero Beach is 3 hours south yeah. of Ponte
1: Plus Verde. you have St Augustine which is also a home of Flagler College and you have Flagler Beach which is just south of it so
0: You know the only reason I remember Flagler Beach is that was on one of those uh the Flagler Beach Police Department was doing a sting on one of the Dateline to Catch a Predator episodes. Of course. So the only thing I know about Flagler Beach is the creepers who at one point in time uh, occupied that general area. So thank you for letting me know, Cam, that there are other things going on in the Flagler Beach area. Other, it's, than, other than the unsavory, the underbelly of, the seedy underbelly of society.
1: That's more like, I think, towards like, Uh, with the south part because i've been to miami in miami it feels like a different country than jacksonville and that's the same thing for like houston compared to el
0: paso (laughs) yeah pretty much i've never been to miami but craig is down there craig will join us uh coming up in hour number two uh yeah stoner vero beach long time uh spring training home of the dodgers dodgers don't train they don't hold spring training there anymore Uh, i want to say i forget which hurricane it was but it pretty much wiped out dodger town so I'm sure Craig can tell us. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll definitely save that for another day. Pastor Smasher, thank you for reminding us that it is also it is also the start of hurricane season in the Atlantic. So be on the lookout for that. I don't I don't The guys aren't dealing with any of that uh, out in very We actually just got a dispatch from uh, from the voice of the Longhorns. Uh, OK, yeah, got some audio coming from the press conference, which I believe has wrapped up down in uh, Coral Gables. So we'll get to some baseball. But right now, let's go ahead and get to the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Uh, just to wrap up what we were discussing, and again, I'd encourage you to get over Horns 24 7 and check out The Insider. Um, I do want to read this quote from The Insider, though, Cam, before we get off the topic of Paul Christ and the special assistants. And I do want to talk about uh, Payam Sudat while we got time. This is a quote uh, from Chris Del Conte. At uh, And by the way, there's a lot of stuff in here from uh, SEC spring meetings down in Destin. It's kind of an insider piece on what's going on in Destin. Uh, but this is a quote from Chris Del Conte about Paul Crist and Steve Sarkeesian hiring him. Uh, CDC said it's it's a move that shows Sark is, quote, unquote, egoless. Uh, it's a quote, It just gives you a different way to look at things. What I love about it is you're egoless. You don't have to have a big ego. You can say, look, I don't have all the answers. Paul Christ, what did you do in this situation? I think that's a great trait. Coach Saban has done that for years at Alabama, and I love that Steve does that. It's a different way to, if you're gonna play someone, say, how would you do this? Or what do you think of this? Having someone else who's done it at the highest level speaks volumes about Steve's leadership. That's the way I look at it. Pretty pretty good uh pretty good compliment from the boss I to, think to any, the head football coach.
1: Anytime you're copying moves that Nick Saban makes, I mean, look at Carby Smart. He's on the same thing now that Saban did. You know, he he hired Will Muschamp on as an analyst, and now Muschamp is a co defensive coordinator. Well, won them a national championship last year and helped build one of the greatest offensive lines possible. My my football spirit, football my
0: football spirit animal, will must champs.
1: Yeah, so and, and this move does show like, like what CDC said, and this might be you know drinking too much of the Kool Aid, but it, it does show I think that Sark isn't stuck in his ways, right? He brings in when I, when I think of Steve Sarkisian and his offenses, I don't think really of Paul Chris in Wisconsin, right? I think of two different type of styles. I guess they're both predicated on establishing the run game, but they go about it in different ways, right?
0: That's what and again, that's why I think it's not so much maybe schematics as much as it is, as it is philosophy. Yeah. And again, just the fact that Sark can use Paul Chris as a sounding board. It's really where he's going to miss Gary Patterson a mm-hmm. lot. Because apparently he bounced a lot of stuff off GP and and we saw we saw some growth in Sark in twenty twenty two. Uh so you can get over Horns twenty four seven and check out more of that. I do want to mention though Payam Ipsuda can because we haven't talked a lot about him and I've just done some just some quick searching through the Google machine on the double Eagle Flex defense that he's been a part of. Uh, that he helped run at Army when he was the co D C there. And the gist of it is with the double legal Flex, kind of what it does, it, it's it the roots of it are in the desert swarm defense that Dick Tomey ran at Arizona. Uh, Dwayne Aquino was a part of that defense that uh Dick Tomey ran at Arizona. ABU. Yeah. And the main thing that I took away from it and I'm I'm still very much in the the genesis of the research, if you will, on the Double Eagle Flex. A lot of it's based on positionless football and using hybrid players. And in this era of football, as we talk more about positionless football and the kind of guys you're going to recruit, especially off-ball linebackers and edge guys, a lot more of those guys, they're being asked to do a lot more things. Your nickel position also kind of falls into that too. So I think the better understanding PK can have about a system that truly relies on hybrid players and positionless football – I think maybe the better it can help him maximize what Texas has on the edge positions because other than Baron Sorrell, who's a proven commodity, you don't have any proven commodities. I still think you can get production out of those spots, Cam, whether it's, you know, it, it might be opponent based right like one week if, if you're facing a team like Texas Tech right that's a pass heavy team you might see more Ethan Burke that week uh, if you're facing a team that's uh, maybe a little more balanced you might see a little more Justice Finkley in there that week at that other edge spot so uh and, and maybe if you're facing a team that's more run heavy maybe you see a little more Jamon Tap and get you uh, some a guy that can play with the uh, uh, allow you to play with a bigger surface Trey Bledsoe's a guy that can be on the edge situationally so i just like the fact that It'll help PK understand how to better deploy his hybrid players, maybe switch some things up. Because DeMarvin Overshone, for all intents and purposes, was a hybrid player last year that they moved around. Kind of a, a positionless guy. So get a better understanding of that. And then with your blitz packages, just figuring out better ways to get to the quarterback. I've always said at a place like Texas, and you kind of see this with Georgia and to a lesser extent Alabama, Clemson's been this way. When, when you're at one of those schools where you can recruit elite defensive talent, if you're doing it the right way, you shouldn't need a ton of exotics to be really good on defense, right? Defense is, defense is the one side of the ball. Offense, you can mask your deficiencies to an extent. Defense is one of the side of the ball, though, where, man, if you don't have horses, you're going to get exposed at some point. And if you've got the horses, you shouldn't need to do a ton of exotics or a ton of outside the box stuff. But I do think when you, when you look at the fact that Texas was one of the best defensive fronts in the country last year at creating pressure, but the pressure didn't finish the play. Not enough tip balls. Not enough turnovers forced. Not enough stops. Not enough sacks. I think maybe just getting that little something extra to put you over the edge to. Uh, make more plays that directly impact the quarterback in the opposing offense. Like I said, it's not just sacks. It's tip balls. It's rush throws. It's PBUs. It's picks. It's stops. It's being a better third down defense between the 20s. So I don't know where you're where you're at on that, Cam, but just the quick bit of research I've done, the very, very limited research I've done on Payam Sudat, that's what encourages me about that move.
1: Jeff, I think that was a great point, but also I think maybe I was the only other person to hear that because apparently our emergency uh, response test just went over the airways so for a lot of people listening
0: <laughs> oh, we're no. sorry for that usually
1: that we cannot schedule that it, it happens i believe once a month and unfortunately it does seem to always happen during uh, the 10 to 11 o'clock
0: hour so to did everybody did everybody just miss most of what i just said uh i'll tell you what we'll <laughs> it'll be on the podcast page later because i don't want to repeat it because we got to talk some texas basketball but uh yeah, and I, I'm sorry, Texter, I, like Cam said, it's I don't know why it's our time slot where the uh, emergency broadcast network has to play their tester, but it's such as life when you're but in the 10 to noon spot.
1: Off of that point, before we hit the break, it, it feels like, well, some people are saying they, they did hear it, so I, I guess it depends on where you're listening to and, and how you're listening to I'm not sure if it affects actually the, the app. Um, That's a technical question that i could hear from dave but But it'll it'll
0: all be on the podcast page if you want to uh hear what i said about paim sudat or anything else you might have missed during that little spiel right there let's talk some texas basketball cam and i want to i want to save some of this because i want to get craig's thoughts on this as well dylan mitchell coming back and man i up until about 72 hours ago i didn't think this was going to happen but the closer you get to deadline time, the more guys have a chance to think. And, you know, Dylan Mitchell's still in L.A., by the way, and we're still working out with teams. I think yeah. he had a workout with the Kings on Sunday, maybe or Monday. I forget. My days are running together. But at any rate, Dylan Mitchell's coming back, and I, I just wonder – and Dylan hasn't said anything yet, but I do wonder whatever he's going to get in NIL compensation or whatever his stock is – Basically, I think it came down to one of two things, it, you know, the the nil money versus whatever money you were going to get from a team, especially if they weren't somebody wasn't willing to give you a guarantee, and maybe you would just have to take a chance on getting a two way contract where you know what your situation is at Texas. Maybe didn't want to take that gamble. And I don't know, if it's spitballing here. Like you said, this is not inside information. I haven't, uh, I haven't heard from Dylan or nobody's Dylan hasn't said anything on this. So it could be that. Uh, It could also be maybe the feedback just wasn't that good from the scouts in terms of what he needed to work on. That could be part of it or two. I I think this is realistic, Cam. I was listening to Jeff Goodman and the guys on uh, Field of 68 talk about this last night. If Dylan Mitchell, if he can have, if he has the same year he had at Texas this this coming season, if the 23-24 season looks a lot like his 22-23 season, and he's going to be drafted right around the same spot, then you figure, okay, go back to school because next year's a deeper draft. Maybe you're more likely to, even if you just improve a little bit, like your athleticism, you're still going to have all those raw tools that teams like. But if you can show that you can take some of that to the court and even show a little bit of improvement, you can get yourself in the first round in what's not going to be as deep a draft next
1: year. I saw some theories online this morning, maybe last night, was that with Shedrick coming in, and, of course, you have Zarek on Yemma maybe moving Mitchell to the wing.
0: He, The problem with him playing the three – well, the problem with him playing the three is he didn't shoot – no, he didn't take a single three-point attempt single last one. year. And I went and looked at uh, barttorvik.com. is a really good site. A lot of free analytical data on Bart Torvik. Does a great job. Bart does. And one thing that I looked at is Dylan Mitchell – On his field goal attempts, last season, let me pull up Dylan Mitchell's numbers real quick. Uh, Last season, Dylan Mitchell, on just his raw numbers on field goal attempts, he was 75 for 118 from the field last year. If you look at his splits on Bart Torvik, what Bart Torvik considers a quote-unquote close two, which a close two is anything 10 feet into the basket, from the rim out to 10 feet. I remember the, the numbers I just talked about. He had 175 field goal attempts. Uh, for Dylan Mitchell, 87 of those were on close twos. So an overwhelming majority. He, and he shot almost 80% of those shots, which for Dylan Mitchell, a lot of those were dunks. So a really high percentage. If you go 10 feet out, and we know he didn't shoot any three, So basically, from the free throw line extended to the three-point line extended, and in in that mid-range area... Seven for thirty-two. So you're talking mm. about a wing player who really doesn't ha- hasn't shown in game at the collegiate level that he's got a jump shot. Yeah. If he can improve in that, then yeah, he can function as a three. Because if you think about it, like Timmy Allen in a lot of situations last year was your three at times. He could function as a three. And I don't think we would say Timmy Allen from an athleticism standpoint. It's almost like Dylan Mitchell is bizarro Timmy Allen, right? Timmy loved the mid-range game. I always said, dude, analytics probably hate Timmy Allen, right? Takes a ton of mid-range jumpers, uh, you know, doesn't really – doesn't have a lot of dunk slash layoffs, doesn't shoot a lot of threes. The analytics don't like him. They think it's a lot of wasted shots. Dylan Mitchell, on the other hand, has pretty much no mid-range game that we've seen to this point, but an uber-athlete who can finish in traffic and be a dominant finisher at the rim. So Dylan Mitchell could function as your three, but that's why I think Texas is still pursuing Arthur Kaluma, formerly of Creighton. Like he's He pulled his name out of the draft yesterday, and his agent was telling people, I think, I don't remember, if it was John Rothstein or Jeff Goodman that reported it. I've been following all those guys, and I know everybody's tracking this stuff down. I think it was Rothstein, though, that heard from, Arthur Columa's agent that he will not definitely not be back at Creighton. He was already in the portal, but he will definitely not be back at Creighton and is looking at other schools and, Texas was mentioned in there. Yep. Uh, Arizona was mentioned. I think Texas Tech was mentioned. Maybe Tennessee. Tennessee Kentucky, uh, Alabama. Kentucky, yeah. A lot of Kentucky buzz with Kaluma. So Texas is looking at Kaluma. And then I think, you know, take your chances with Kaluma. And then now that you know what the portal landscape is, you know who's there, now you can really call it and see. okay, let's go attack this guard. You need a guard with some length. You, and I think that either a guard slash wing with some length and another guy who's just a pure shooter I think is really what they want to add, which makes sense, which is – for them, if you would have added Caleb Love and Cam Spencer, that would have been for what they were looking for, it would have been a perfect finish. But Cam Spencer's no longer considering Texas, and Caleb Love is headed at Arizona. to Arizona. So Texas kind of starting over from not from scratch, but at least the the pool has gotten smaller. But they, they can add a couple of bodies. But I don't know, Cam, I'm 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 hopeful, I'm optimistic about this nine man nucleus with Tyrese Hunter, Max Aismus, Dylan Mitchell, Caden Shedrick, Dylan DeSue, uh, Kendall Weaver. Zarek and Yema, Alexander McWay, and Brock Cunningham. It's not a bad nine-man rotation.
1: So I definitely think Texas will at least try and get one more guard for the bench. But you still think they're going to pursue Kaluma? Because I figured with Mitchell coming back, then that was it.
0: No, because I think Kloom, if you get Kaluma, it just gives you that much more versatility in your front court. Like, you could play Kaluma and Mitchell together, and ideally in that situation, you could definitely play Mitchell at the four and Kaluma at the three, or or vice versa. Uh, you could go big and play Kaluma, Kaluma or Mitchell with Shedrick and DeSue. Uh You can bring Shedrick off the bench. Like, there is a number of different things you could do. I, I just I think it's going to be more of a situation where maybe Arthur Kaluma looks at Texas and kind of reads the tea leaves and say, "Look, if Dylan Mitchell's coming back, he, he's not coming back to play seventeen and a half minutes a game and yeah. be and be in the uh, the supporting role that he was late in the season."
1: I do like where the depth's at in this team because uh, a month ago. The sky was falling, right? AJ Johnson was gone. That's what I've, always said, I've always said. Complain, Ron Holland com- was gone.
0: Complaining about roster building in college basketball in the middle of April, it's like complaining about football recruiting in June. It does had, you no good. It we makes had texts no
1: coming in two days after the season ended asking, why is RT sitting on his butt? Well, here we are, June 1st, and everyone that could basically return did except for Artura Morris and Rowan, Rowan Brumball, right? Two kids who... You know, probably weren't going to be in a, a huge part of the future for Texas.
0: Ron was a developmental guy. They they would have loved to have Terrio back, but it was the same thing as as with they had with Ron Holland. Look, we can we're going to we've given you all the assurances we can yeah. give you about what your role will be, and if this place isn't for you, then hey, no hard feelings. Go go where you feel you need to go. Which, by the way, Texas fans, don't tell me you didn't like Arkansas taking the gut punch with Ron Holland announcing yesterday that he signed it with G League
1: Ignite. Some great message board responses after that.
0: Yeah, I just, I love message board geniuses kind of grab that and be like, Arkansas fans are mad. And it was, uh, I'll say this about message boards, man. There's a lot of great people that post on message boards. But there is that like 5%, that 2 to 5% of message board posters that are, um. how can I say this? The pimple on the buttocks of your fan base. They're, yeah. They're the ones that you're embarrassed that they wear your school colors or flash your school colors or support your program.
1: Which percentage does the poster who said that Quinn Ewers is going to have a bad year because of the oil business surrounding his family? Is that the <sighs> the pimple 5% or the smart 90%?
0: That was more of the – that's the pimple okay. 5%. just percent Just double-checking there. The pimple 5% is also the, the – I saw a post on the Purdue board that uh, I think it was – gosh, what happened – Trying to think of what it was late in the year. Maybe it was Bijan going pro. I don't remember, but they figured that was the right time to go poach Sark from Texas. I'm like, when does Purdue ever come to poach the head football coach at Texas? Just Texas fans, you can say a lot about your program, but in the annals of college football history, you can rest easy that you're on a higher rung than Purdue. Mm hmm. So, speaking of inconceivable things, inconceivable's next. That'll close out hour number one here on Life of Tower. On the Horn, live, local, and digital, on the Horn app at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. I want to thank uh, Big Craig on the Twitter machine, at Craig Floyd. Thank you for your contributions to the show, as always, and letting me know about this. Cam. I've made no bones about the fact that I love my sports cards and collectibles. Mm-hmm. But not only that, I don't have this much money to spend on such items, but this is why I will never mess in high end collectibles. This is from Darren Ravel, who uh, pe- on the list of people I'd like to punch in the face, he's pretty high up there, but I digress. Top five? Oh, dude. Probably top two or three. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, four- and you aren't the only one. That is confirmed.
0: Yes. 444 days ago, a collector bought this card for $840,000. The card is a Steph Curry. It's a Steph Curry rookie card. It is from the Panini National Treasures set, which is one of their very, very high-end products. It's a rookie patch auto, so it's a rookie card with an autograph with a piece of his jersey in it for $840,000, 444 days ago. Last night, Cam, this card sold on the golden auctions website for $168,000. That is a loss of oh, over $1,500 wow. per day. Yeah, man. I-,
1: I can't even wrap that around my brain. So, <sighs>
0: It speeches. went from being close to a seven-figure card to now being less than the cost of a price of a pretty decent house in this area. Did you?
1: How much would? How much is that Steph Curry, Steph Curry card worth to you? Like, if you had unlimited money, I, unlimited I, money, and you could, is it? Are you spending six figures on that?
0: I, I probably wouldn't. Right at a hundred. I just saw one bought similar to this for uh, it was a it was a trade. It was valued in a trade at about one hundred thirty thousand. It's a nice card.
1: Well, whoever sold it for the eight hundred and forty thousand dollars, I mean, that guy. Salute to you, cow. sir, madam. Yeah, he swindled that
0: dude. Somebody, somebody banked some big coin on that. All right, real quick, Cam. In your high school, where did you graduate high school from?
1: Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina.
0: Okay. Did you guys have uh, a senior prank that you did?
1: Yeah, I think so. Actually, Derek Conan was talking about his senior prank not too long ago. I don't really remember it. I wasn't really involved in that. Nucleus of the kids who planned all that stuff
0: Well uh, well, What's believed to be a senior prank At Meade Senior High School In Maryland It's believed to be a senior prank that the school Fort Meade uh, Meade Senior High School in Fort Meade, Maryland The school itself was listed On the online marketplace Zillow for the price of (laughs) $42,069 Bob Moser A spokesperson for uh, The uh, school district uh, that oversees mead Senior High School confirmed in a statement to Fox 11 News that the local high school isn't up for sale. Again, they're saying it's probably a creative senior prank included in the listing cam. Uh, it said the listing claimed the school was quote-unquote for sale by owner and provided a phone number that directed callers to the mead, to Meet mead Senior High School's main line. That, quote, this nice half-working jail is on sale for a steal. All 15 bathrooms come with sewage issues, the unknown prankster wrote. The school also comes with dangerous, unfinished sections that could cost you your life. Your neighbors are rodents and insects that will make you squeal, the fake listing went on. The school comes with complimentary trash-scented air freshener and water issues. That is pretty brilliant.
1: That's some great stuff. I wonder how many calls they got. From people actually I'm interested in, in buying it,
0: forty-two grand seems like a deal for uh, this property. We're not for sale, sir or madam. So, oh, I dig that putting the uh, the school on Zillow for your senior. I'm print. sure some people like
1: want it. to, like, hey, can we throw a rave in this in this new Zillow listing? It, we're not for sale, sir. <laughs> you just walk in one day, it's, it's a
0: foam party. Like, what the hell's going on in here? <laughs> That's gonna do it for hour number one. Hour number two coming up next here on Light the Tower on the Horn, live local and digital on the Horn app at hornfm.com.